Working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everybody, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is drummer Rob Hammersmith. Rob's musical journey began at an early age in a small town outside of Buffalo, New York. After a brief detour to California, Rob settled in Atlanta, Georgia, where his drumming quickly gained attention in the rock underground. Rob spent many years touring and recording with Atlanta rockers Rockets to Ruin and toured with Gunfire 76 featuring Murder Doll's frontman Wednesday 13. Rob also maintains a busy schedule of recording and working with many different bands and artists throughout the country. In 2010, Rob was offered the drum position in the multi-platinum selling rock band Skid Row. When asked about working with the band, Rob says, Having always been a fan, it's an honor to be asked to join the band. The band's music and history holds a special place in both my life and the lives of so many loyal fans. To be a part of that history is a chance of a lifetime. To find out more about this episode and all the episodes that we've done, you can go to workingdrummer.net. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Leave a rating and review. This always helps us grow. If you like what we're doing here at Working Drummer Podcast and you want to help sustain this ongoing project, there's a way that you can help, and there are many progressive rewards for those of you who can help. I'm talking about free Skype lessons from pro drummers like Ben Caesar and Carter McLean, a free Working Drummer t-shirt, access to bonus content, shout-outs, Twitter follows, and even a personal feature on you within an episode. Check out all the details at patreon.com slash working drummer. I'd like to introduce you all to Crush Drums by telling you about one of their new lines. They are offering a brand new birch kit called the Sublime Birch Series. The Sublime Birch is 100% North American birch. Here's Crush's own Terry Platt talking about some of the cool features of the Sublime Birch Series. One thing that Crush has always done is on our 14-inch floor toms, we do a 14 by 13. It's got the fullness and depth of a 14 by 14 tom, but you can also, tuning range-wise, manipulate it to sound more like a 14 by 12 for the guys that, that enjoy that tone as well. It also includes the hoop saver claws that we developed where we actually have the rubber grommet under the claw protruding through the front of the claw. So if somebody grabs their drum set and sets it down, say, on concrete, you know, claw side down, it doesn't scratch up everything. And here's one of my favorite things about what Crush is doing. The bearing edges are cut a little more specifically for the drums. Our standard edge is a, you know, kind of a double 45, and the outside is rounded over so you get some more head contact with the shell. On the bass drum, you'll notice that the resonant side is even rounder than that. And then the uh, batter side's going to be a little bit sharper. Just so you get that nice snap out of the kick, but the resonant head really brings the whole shell into the equation of the tone. You can also find a link to the new Sublime Birch series in our show notes and see the beautiful finishes and configurations they offer. In the near future, we've got much more to share in regard to Crush Drums and this dynamic company. For now, check out Crush Drums at crushdrum.com. So here you go. Here's my conversation with Rob Hammersmith. I had a chance to interview my old college professor, drum instructor Bob Brighthop at Capital University. Okay. He used to be the president of PAS, and he he's just always been very, very involved in one aspect or another. But he's he said, you know, he goes, what 
what we do for a living is amazing. The fact that there aren't too many vocations where you you think as a child, uh, when I grow up, I want to be a baseball player. I want to be a pilot. I want to be a musician. I want to be, you know, whatever. There's only a handful of those things that uh, as a young person and as a teenager and, you know, all these times in your life when you think, this is what I want to do. And there's a... and for those of us who have 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 those opportunities to make the, those things happen, we've, we're kind of in this arrested development stage of our sure. life where we get to play and do these things that we want to do. And so the idea of like actually doing what Zach Albetta and I joke about is adulting, um, where you have to do real grown-up things, even when you're fulfilling your childhood fantasies of... Sure. Being a rock star, you know, so how does that work with you? I mean, I I, I don't know how busy you are uh, with Skid Row, um, but has that been a challenge for you? You know what? It's that's a very it, it's a it's a very good question, and and um, by nature, I have a tendency to be a bit long winded, so I will kind of <laughs> I, I can speak from <laughs> from the the way my particular situation works, and everybody's situation. Is is I guess slightly different based on on all the moving parts, all the individual personalities involved in whatever organization it is that you're involved in. Yeah. For I can speak for Skid Row specifically, it's a really really good balance between the two, and the reason for that there's a couple of reasons for that, and the majority of us in the band our family men, and and three of the five of the band members, including myself, have children, and we've kind of we've set some limits for ourselves and, and we, we love to play music, but we also really value and, and we fight to protect our, our family lives and, and things like that. So, so we really collectively as a band, we've, we've, and some of these were actual conversations that we've had. And some of these, these limits are things that we just instinctively know these are our limits and, and it doesn't make sense for us to go and do X, Y, or Z, depending on what the what the situation might be. So the last couple of years, to answer your question in terms of how busy we are, the yeah. last couple of years for us, we've primarily been doing weekends. So mm-hmm. like so many bands, um, and certainly bands that have been around for a bit longer, I, I think it's definitely different if you're a younger band and you're you're maybe you're you're finding some momentum, you're finding your your opportunity. You kind of need to go for it while. You need to strike while the iron is hot, I should yeah. say. Yeah. For us, in a situation like ours, we have a bit more power to choose how we want to work. So when we mm. look at an upcoming year, and this is this is actually a good time of year to have this this conversation because we kind of look at it as as the upcoming year. How yeah. do we want to do things, and, right. and what what is our our business plan, so to speak? So the last couple of years, we've been doing primarily weekends. So a typical week for me, and even the weekends are seasonal, right? So the, obviously your summer months and, and um, I would say late spring through fall for us is kind of the, the peak season. You've got a lot of, whether it's a state fair, or whether it's a festival or your outdoor events, obviously there's a lot more opportunity to go out and play in mm-hmm. the summer months. So you build your weekends around around those opportunities. So we will typically leave home. It could be anywhere from one show to maybe three or four shows uh, 
so typically I'm leaving home either Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah. I'm knocking out a few shows, and we we always attempt to get everybody home as early as we can on Sundays. Um, and there's a, a thousand different variables as to how early you're home, but we're we're always home Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening at the latest. Um, and then you've got a few days to, right. to spend with your family and kind of reconnect with your with your adulting life, as you, uh, <laughs> yeah. as you put it earlier. Yeah. Uh, and it's really just a, a great balance. Obviously, the drummer in me would love to go out and play, you know, five nights a week, six nights a week, or whatever the case yeah. might be. I would yeah. I would certainly love to do that. But you get to a point where, from a business standpoint, and again coming from guys who really do value the balance and, and some other things in our lives, it's become a very good balance for us. Now, with that said, yeah. this coming year, 2018, we have plans. We have, uh, you have some European dates. Starting. We do, yes. Yeah. So we've taken a few years off from, from spending a lot of time overseas. And the reasons for that, some of them are, are calculated strategic reasons. Obviously, you don't want to you don't want to keep going back to the same market. You can oversaturate. And, yeah, you can oversaturate certain markets. Uh, I know bands that do that. They they work a maybe they're like huge in the southeast, but it's like if they do too much, then you uh, you start to lose fan base. Well, that's exactly right, mm-hmm. and it's it's an unfortunate reality of the business we work in. It's too much of a good thing is exactly that. It's just too much of a good thing. Um, so for us, there are some markets overseas that are very, very, very loyal and very supportive of the genre of music that we play and the era of music that, that this particular band comes from. They are wonderful markets for us. But again, you can do yourself a disservice if if you're continuously going back to the same markets and, yeah. and certainly without new music or a new product to promote. Mm-hmm. You just have to be careful about that. So going back to to. Uh, the question about the schedule next year will be busier for us. Uh, but even within a busier year, we have kind of uh, collectively agreed on some limits. So we will put a time on how long we are willing to leave home for. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if it's a wonderful business opportunity, if it's something that we all look at and say, "All right, this is this is something that we really have to to take a look at doing," we will obviously bend the rules. They're not. Yeah. You know, it's not carved in stone for us, but we we do our best to keep it within the parameters of what right. we set for ourselves. And again, going going back to what I said earlier, it's just a wonderful position to be in. Right. To so many musicians and so many working musicians struggle with with what they have to sacrifice to go out and be successful in this business. And when you get to a point where you have some power and you have some some say so in that that ratio of sacrifice to to going out and doing the things that you love mm-hmm. doing and, and the things that you really want to yeah. go out and do. To be quite honest with you, it's a wonderful position to be in. Yeah. And you know, I give the, the guys in my band a ton of credit for for recognizing that and we're all very, very grateful for it. And it's something that we don't take for granted. That's great. That's great. No, yeah. you and, and and you're coming upon your eighth year with the band. That's correct. Yes, and um, and uh, but the band uh, people remember the band back. I th- well, the first record technically came out what eighty nineteen eighty nine. 
That is correct, yes. Okay. So the, the band was formed in 1986, and yeah. the first album was 1989. Okay. So, um, and there's still, there are some original members that are involved in this, but, I mean, this being a, a band situation, is there more of a democratic way of handling a lot of these heavy decisions, or is it kind of left up to more of the original members, or was there a grace period where you were brought into this kind of heavy decision-making? How does that work? You know, that's a that's another great question. For us, it's, or I should say for me, having having been with the guys, as you said, seven, almost eight years now, yeah. there was definitely a a period of growth. And to be honest with you, there still is. I feel like each year, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, um, I'm, I'm more, I'm more invested into it, even just from a personal standpoint, it's it's become so much of my life and, and I have so much emotional energy invested into this band. Um, we all work the, the current lineup, the lineup that we have as of now, um, and it's it's been this way for the last couple of years. The five of us just work very, very, very well together. We're very like-minded. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some some very obvious. Um, I don't want to say senior partners, but the, but there's it's when, when you're in this situation where you you start to to find yourself working with a group of guys who have been together for as long as the three original members have been together, right. you're, you're not going to jump in and just just seamlessly blend into the, the fabric of, of how things work. There's obviously going to be a period of growth. And in all honesty, they're, they're, they're trying you on just as much as, as you're trying them on. And when I say that, it's really, as we all know, working in our industry, playing is a very important component as to the compatibility of the band members or, or whatever situation you might be in. But then there are the other 22 and a half hours of the day. And we've heard so many people talk about how important that is and, and how you just really have to be the right guy for the gig. Yeah. 24 hours a day. If you are going to commit to traveling and, and working together and, and, maybe songwriting and maybe recording and all these things that go along with playing in the band, all the things that you don't really think about. I think when you're a young kid, you know, sitting in airports and and sitting on a bus together and and all these things that you have to go through. It's, it's just so important to find guys who are like-minded for myself. These guys, we, we've grown into just a wonderful relationship. We have kind of found out in spending time together that we are very similar in our thoughts and ideas and, and the way we want to do things. So to your original question, it was definitely a, a, I want to say a a grace period is probably a a very good way to explain it. Mm -hmm. Which is natural. I think, you know, sure, sure. Absolutely. And with that said, the guys in my band who are original members and, and within the original members, there are there are two guys who are still with the band that are the founding members of the band. Right. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for what these guys have created, what they've accomplished, what they've been able to fight to continue moving forward and, and continue working in a very difficult industry for 30 plus years. Yeah. And I, I don't try to compete with that at all. I, <laughs> I, 
I love that my opinion is valued and I, I love that I'm always able to contribute, but I have a tremendous amount of trust and respect in their experience and their, their hard work. So I think in a lot of situations you have to be, you have to be humble enough to understand that your vote might not necessarily count equally and it's nothing personal. It's just real. It's just really working with each other and being respectful of everybody's role and, and everybody's situ- everybody's situation is slightly right. different. And, and those two guys, what, Dave, how do you say his last name? Sabo? Sabo, yes. Dave Sabo. Yes. And correct. Rachel Bolin? That's correct, yes. Okay, the bass player. Um, those yes. are two of the original members. Uh, to interject what you're saying here, um, it's been a common theme throughout the many podcasts is that, you know, okay, look, you, everyone knows you got to play, but this forgotten element is you can't be an asshole. You have to be able to get along with people. You have to have... <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. You have to have people skills. But it, this isn't... I mean, I think this is an interesting thing that you bring up is there's a chemistry and there's something that has... Um, connect. There's a gel that has, has happened with you guys. Um, that sa- sounds like, and, and it's not about. It's it's not as black and white as look. Just don't be a jerk. And 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 if you can play and you're not a jerk, then you can work with anybody. Sometimes there is um, there is a, a certain situation that just seems to f- be a good fit for you. Um, that, that's exactly right. So it's more than just. Not being an asshole, it's it's, it's <laughs> it, it, it really is. Yeah. It really is. And you know, to 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 that point, I've laughed with with people in the past, and and some occasionally you'll have maybe somebody who's a bit younger or or somebody who's newer to the business, and they'll kind of ask you questions on the topic that we're discussing right now, and and it's kind of a, a vague response. But what I've told people in the past is, no matter what you envision it being like, so it could be. It could be anything. It could be from the wildest, just the craziest rock and roll, chaotic circus that that we've all heard about and read about and envisioned, and mm-hmm. and all these things. Whether it's that or whether it's it's the polar opposite of that. No matter what you envision it being like, I promise you, there is a band out there somewhere doing exactly that. So yeah. who's to say that that you know? I I, I try to. Subscribe to the live and let live policy. Mm, um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not here to preach and tell people how to handle their business. Although I have, you know, strong opinions about about certain things, it's not my place to impose those upon people. It's whatever you envision it being like. I promise you, there's a band out there doing it, mm, and you yeah. might be right for that situation. Sure, um, we, <laughs> we know what works for us, and and we know the kind of people that that we feel are a good fit for for our organization. And that's really, that's really, you know, that's important to us. It, it's strange. We, we go out and we play with a lot of bands who much like Skid Row have maybe been together for, for many years and they've been through ups and downs and they've, they've seen a lot and they've accomplished a lot together and maybe they're all original members and maybe you just have, you're down to maybe a couple, couple lone original members, but we see a lot of bands that, that travel and, and, doesn't seem like they enjoy each other's company and, mm-hmm. and you know, it's, it's kind of, yeah, I, I guess it's, I don't want to say it's the norm, but you see that a lot. And then you have a group like ours, we might travel together for 48 straight hours 
And as soon as we get to the hotel, we're all texting each other to find out who wants to go and eat and, and yeah. grab a drink or grab a coffee. And it's really, it's a wonderful experience to be in an organization that feels that way about even our crew outside of the band. The people that we travel with are just very, very, very important people to us. And and it's really like a family. And that's, that's the best cool. way to explain it. That's yeah. And that's, that's really important. I, I think the, the important thing to add to that is um, depending on the type of work that we get into, sometimes it's not always available. You're not always going to find yourself in that situation, especially if it's like, uh, you know, a, a, a short tour or maybe a, sure. a run with some different people. So, I mean, th- there's ways to adapt. I mean, you know, it's interesting there was uh i kind of had had this saved for later i was going to bring up um but this is kind of related to what we're talking about um there was a, a a thing in modern drummer uh that you were talking about gear um and and at the end of of this you know you're talking about touring and like uh fly dates and you know like what are the what are the bare essentials you know hey look i've got my sticks i've got my pedal i've got my cowbell you know like these are the essentials <laughs> and i've got these things to kind of like get through any scenario but at the end sure um there's a quote you have a quote it says in any situation it's always a balance of being prepared and being flexible in the moment I mean, you're talking about gear here. You're talking about like being able to adapt, and it's very specific. But then you say be sure. po- be positive and open minded. You you go on to say, and you might just find your next piece of must have gear. So I mean, you're you're kind of tying it into what this this short article is about. But when you're flying and you're adapting to any kind of like crazy scenario, maybe you're working with an engineer that you're not used to, or the gear is just complete shit. You're like, be positive and open-minded. Sure. And dude, that alone, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) you know, those five words right there work in so many different scenarios. You're, you're, you're so right, and I would love to tell you that that's a lesson I learned on day one. But that's uh, <laughs> you know, that, that, that perhaps comes with a little bit. It was of a, day two, Rob. It was day two. You learned it day it, two. It was a, at the very least. It was day two. I promise you. It's uh, <laughs> you know, it's just it's something that you just you. I think you need to go out and have you know some experiences and and yeah. maybe you know it's it's like anything else. It's like any other industry. It's. You know, you talk to somebody who's who's been able to navigate whatever field they've chosen to work in and, and be able to do it long term, and everybody will tell you, you know, there there have been some game changing moments and and there have been some some situations that have really made an impact on them, and um, but that's something that I've just really come to 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 um, be constantly, I guess, cognizant of is is how, in a lot of ways, how little we control we have over these day-to-day things and how many moving parts go into a band that's traveling together. And, yep. and you have so many people that you're relying on. And it's and people, when I say people, it's outside of your your organization. You might be dealing with backline companies that you have no no relationship with before 
before you show up that particular day. And it's that's a, that's one example. You're dealing with with travel variables. You're dealing with all these things, and it's just it's being positive and 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 just trying to get through it together. And you know, recognizing what's within your control and and what's just not in your control. I, I I've as I've gotten older and as I've had some of these experiences, I've learned to kind of ask myself, okay, in this particular situation, what is it that I could possibly do to have a positive impact on the situation? And a lot of times you find yourself answering, well, there's really nothing I can do right now. And if I react in the moment, it's probably not going to help. It's probably only going to make things worse. And, um, and again, that, that for me personally, Again, I would love to tell you that I was always that way, but, <laughs> but anybody yeah. who knows me will tell you that's you not know, true. <laughs> what I found interesting was I, I felt like when I was younger, uh, I felt like I could adapt and I could roll with scenarios because my 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 brain was so I was so caught up in the fact that man, I'm playing drums, I'm playing music. It doesn't matter where it is. It doesn't matter. Like, of course, you know, sure. I wasn't using in ears. Like, there, my drums were really shitty, but it just didn't matter. It was just so great to be playing music. And then you got more experience, and you got older, and then you then you began be, began to fine tune certain things and began creating certain expectations. And so, although you gain experience, your expectations are higher, and your patience gets narrower. And then uh, it, it certainly and, does. And yes. it's almost like yeah. you you go. It's almost like a, there's a there's a cycle to it. You come full circle to the fact that yeah, you have greater expectations of yourself and the crew and the gear and and the gig situation and the music. But also, and and you and if you're like me, you you get grumpy as you get older. Uh, but <laughs> that is absolutely me. Yeah. But you but you have. To, but it's like with that becomes maturity, and you're like, okay, I recognize that this situation, if it's bad, is completely out of my control. And if I pitch a fit, then it's gonna just it's going to lower the tenor of this whole situation, which could affect, it's going to affect the crew. It's going to come back negatively on me. It's going to affect my bandmates, which is going to affect the show, which is going to affect the audience. And it's like, this is why we're here. And that's exactly in in, in the most basic way that the joke that I I keep going back to, or the way that I always say, it's like, if the monitors are complete shit and like, I can't hear anything. I always say, what did the Beatles do at Wembley? You know? <laughs> You're 100% right. You know, I've, I've had a, a very similar conversation with, with people in the past, and, and obviously there are some very, very important components to everybody's gig and whatever yeah. situation you're playing in. There mm-hmm. are definitely things to, to stress about, and, and there are moments to kind of choose your battles and, and maybe dig in with people who, who maybe drop the ball, and, and maybe, maybe they're not putting as much... Uh, heart and soul into whatever events it, it is. Um, and there are, uh, there are absolutely opportunities to, you know, you don't have to be the, the pushover in every situation. Right, right, um, right. But learning to identify those moments and mm-hmm. learning, as you said, when there comes a point where my responsibility is to play, it might be 90 minutes of music, it might be 60 minutes of music, whatever it is, that's, that's my obligation here. And there comes a point where I have to rely on myself to yeah. do that. And and there are ideal conditions for 
for playing drums, and there are some conditions that are less than ideal. But there comes a point on every day that you just have to to put some of those aside and just really do the best you can, and you commit to it and do the best you can. I've I've heard so many musicians, not just drummers, talk about the idea of not making your problems problems yes. for the audience. And right. and that's easier said than done, but mm-hmm. it's it's also something that goes through my mind. Um, you know, and and you see it as musicians. I, I think we're just naturally a little bit more keyed into what might be going on on a stage when we're watching musicians perform. So if, if something is is maybe going haywire, you know, we we might pick up on it a little bit quicker than than say somebody who doesn't perform or or maybe the average. I, I say the average, but but the somebody who is not familiar with the environment sure. they might not pick up on sure. it as quickly. But when you see somebody handle it with with grace and professionalism, mm-hmm. um, it's something that I've I've definitely I, I'm definitely reminding myself of. That's that's my obligation. That's a true professional. Was it perfect? No, not at all. And was he was he struggling with some things that were out of control? Out of his control? Yes. But the way he handled it was definitely something to to take notes from. Right. Um, and I see that, and it's something that again that I try to be mindful of and. And you're constantly learning, like every other aspect of being a musician. You're constantly learning how to do that better. Right. And uh, and, and you talked about. Mention, go ahead, man. Sorry. Yeah, I should mention. I, I, I'm very fortunate. I have Chris Missioner is a name that I, I just always feel compelled to mention. He has been my drum tech for the last couple of years now, and he is just a wonderful. He's very keyed into all these things that we are we are talking about now and he's very very good at um maybe not not burdening me with with some stress and anxiety prior to a gig i'll find out after the gig after we're all done doing all the things that we need to do for the day and we're all just relaxing and, and shaking hands i'll find out what a hellish afternoon he had to get me there but he's just so good about not he he quietly handles our business in a way that really makes life better for me. And I'm, mm. I'm just constantly reminded of how good he is at that. Um, and that's a situation that I do not take for granted at all. I'm very, very grateful. And, and that's awesome. Appreciative. That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. He has a very keen sense of, of people and how to maybe massage situations to get the results that you would like to get out of them. That's a skill, um, I, man. That is a skill right it there. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. I'm definitely learning from him on a daily basis um, and in a wonderful way, so I should mention that. You're originally from a small town outside uh, Buffalo. Um, That's correct, yes. Did yeah. you grow up, grow up there before you came down to Georgia? I did, yeah. So I, a small town called Franklinville, New York, which is exactly an hour south of Buffalo, um, so close to the to the New York State Pennsylvania border. Okay, um, it's down for anybody who's familiar with that area. It's down near Jamestown, Olean, what we call the Southern Tier in Western New York. Okay, uh, so I, I grew up there, went to high school there. Um, I went to a community college for for two years after high school um, in Batavia, New York, which is exactly halfway between Buffalo and Rochester. And at that point, uh, I I dabbled with living in California. I was out in California for a short period of time. 
And to be honest with you, it was it was an amazing experience. It was a wonderful time in my life, but I was not I was not getting anything done. I was not a productive <laughs> I was not a productive young man when I was out there. Um, so I kind of had that moment where I just I just really felt like I didn't know exactly how, I didn't know exactly what my next move was going to be, but I just felt like I had to start start uh, finding a direction or, or maybe finding some type of uh, just a bit more structure and, and just being more productive. There were a lot of things that I wanted to do, wanted to accomplish, but I just didn't know how to get started and I hmm. didn't know how to get focused. Um, so my time out West was, was a little bit short, but it was, again, it was a wonderful experience. Uh, so, I mean, was it, was it, out there. was the intent for, to, to pursue music as a profession? It absolutely was. It yeah. absolutely was. Okay. And that was the motivation for moving to California. That was kind of my, that was my, like so many people, that was my idea of, of going for it and, mm-hmm. and jumping in and, and really just committing to it. Again, I just, for myself personally, I got out there and, and I say got out there. I, I spent some time in, in Orange County, California, just south of, of Los Angeles. Right. And so many distractions and so so much fun, you know, things other than playing music. And it right. just really, it was a wonderful experience. It was a wonderful time in my life, but, uh, again, nobody could accuse me of being a productive young man while I was out there. <laughs> you know, we, we, we expect so much. We ask so much of people between the ages of like 18 and 24 to make in, insanely life-changing and, and very important decisions. And 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 some people, many people can do it, but 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 it's a that's a. I'm I'm realizing now, looking back, that's a, there's a lot to expect. I think for a lot of a lot of my peers and myself, I think that music bug hits you in your early teens, and you're, you're, there's a laser focus on what to do. That I feel like I think you're right. I, I feel like that again. Like we when we first began this conversation, we talk about those kind of things that we want to do with our lives, and you discover as a child, uh, I say child, but you know, like a, a young person that you're, you're like, man, I want, I want to play music, I want to play drums. And so there's this laser focus that happens through the formative years and through the time in your life when your people are asking you to, to decide what, what do you want to major in college or what do you want to do for your vocation? Um, oops, are you still there? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, so you have to... It, it's a challenge to um, to many people, but not to I think a lot of musicians. But still, there's a maturity level that that uh, sometimes isn't there in order to accomplish those goals. I, I think that you're absolutely right. I think it's a, I, I, and I can only speak for myself personally, but you're absolutely right. I was just I, I, when you talk about the laser focus, and that's a really that's a really good good point for me i was i was certainly motivated i was definitely not i mean i was very motivated i was not lazy by any means i just didn't really know how to go about doing it and and i said at a very early age i say very early age but just as you mentioned early teens yeah i want to to be a musician but i just didn't know how and i i didn't know 
what do you do? You, do you find so my my view of a world like that was well, you you find a few other friends in school and you put a band together and and you go on to be successful or not. But that was kind of the that was the the notion in my head. That was how you do something like that. And obviously, that's only one way to do it. Um, but that's how we saw all our heroes doing it. <laughs> I, for right. me personally, yes. All the all the bands that I grew up inspired by, and and all those bands that were and and individual musicians that were really making an impact on me and, and changing my my life at the time. Yeah, that was that was their their that was their story, and that was their that was their I guess their their climb to to being in a successful situation. You know you you get together with some guys in a garage and you'd, you'd right. write songs and somebody would come and see you. And, and next thing you know, you know, they, they don't tell you about all the stuff in between all these steps that I'm mentioning. And, <laughs> and once you get out there and start figuring that out for yourself as a young adult, it, uh, it, it can be a lot to get your head around. So it's interesting you bring this point up because, um, one of your recent episodes with Dinesh, who is a very good friend of mine, uh, from, from Atlanta, he talks about his history and 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 having having kind of known him throughout the years, and and then listening to the episodes on your podcast with him. To be honest, with you, it never occurred to me to go to an MIT or something like that. It it just it really just never occurred to me. I I thought all of that that stuff that I was chasing. Um, I thought all that started in a garage somewhere and, yeah. and in a lot of situations it does, but, but all these other avenues and all these other things and all these other investments that you can make into yourself, it just took me a very, very, very long time to get my head around that. If that makes any sense. No, it does. And I, you know, it's funny because, um, somebody, um, gosh, um, uh, Matt Billingsley, uh, okay. who's uh, the drummer with Taylor Swift. Um, we, yes. we studied with the same teacher. We were all out to dinner uh, once, and um, he, I overheard him talking to a, a young drummer that was just starting a, an undergraduate, and I overheard him say a thing, and I, I, need, to, I need to credit him for this. He said, because okay. here's this, here's this 19-year-old kid talking to, to Matt saying, okay, what advice do you have because you're working with Taylor Swift? And I, so I know that was kind of the basis of the conversation, but, but Matt said, look, everybody's path is different. Everybody's path is unique. Right. And, and, and that's so true because if there was one formula that worked, we'd all be doing it. For some, well, you're 100 percent right. Yes. Some of us, it's it's just getting out there, uh, and, and and not without formal education. Some of it's 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 through a specialized school like MIT. Some of it's uh, you know Berkeley. Some of it's it's different. Uh, it's it's a um, you know um, a, a more formal university uh, setting. Uh, it, it it just really some people you know have opportunities when they're very young, and others sometimes. And I think I'm in the same category. As you, it, it's, it, 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 I didn't really know. I tried, I threw many, many different things at it and, um, it wasn't, um, but for me, it, it, it just came a little bit later, you know, and, and it's just been Absolutely. kind of a steady, yeah. a steady stream of, of, 
of work, but nothing that's <laughs> super peak. That's exactly it. You know, I tell people all the time, exactly to to the point that you're you're making. It's for me, it was a marathon. It definitely was not a sprint. Yes. And yeah, and for so many people, I I think you know that's the that's a harsh reality for a lot of people, and it doesn't mean that they're any less passionate about music or playing right, the drums right, or right. whatever it is, whatever goal it is that they're, they've set for themselves. It doesn't mean that they're any less passionate. It's, it is a very, it's a harsh reality when you, when you really commit to it and start that process. Um, and for me, you talk about, you talk about how for some people they have opportunities at a young age and, and for some it takes much longer. Mm-hmm. Looking back on it, of course I wanted to be a successful drummer when I was, and if we're being honest, I wanted all that when I was still in, in school and in high school and playing in garage bands. And of course I wanted all that. Right. I was not equipped for it either mentally or, or um emotionally mature. I just, I wasn't mature enough for it. And I dodged a lot of bullets. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it happened for me the way it happened. The way it was supposed to. Exactly. Mm -hmm. In the long run, Mm -hmm. I'm probably a much more, I'm I'm a better person because of it. And and things do happen for a reason. Right. And it goes back to the very start of our conversation, things like family and and things like, like, um, personal lives outside of being in a band, I, I really, I don't know if, if it would have been a good thing for me to, to, to achieve the level of success that I was after at a very young age. I, I don't know that that would have been a good thing for me. So. Right. It's like people who win the lottery and then, you know, a year later they wish it would never happen to them. We all think that's a dream come true, and it's like life becomes that's, that's very going to solve compl- all of your problems, right? It, it yeah. makes it that much more complicated. So you were out in California. Did you go back to Buffalo, or where did you go from there? Well, I, I did. I actually moved back to the Rochester, New York area, which is not it's not too far from Buffalo. For for those of you familiar with Western New York, it's really it's all kind of the Western New York area. Um, and I lived in a small college town called Brockport, New York. Uh, I was there with a buddy of mine who I'm still dear friends with to this day. Um, and we started a band and kind of, kind of did the, that whole Rochester, New York, Brockport, New York, the, the little college scene there. We, we played for, I kind of lost track of how many years I was in that area. Um, but it was a handful of years, I would say maybe, maybe five years. Um, but my memory of, of the timeline is a little, a little hazy. Uh, and then at that point I just really felt like, like I was just feeling restless and, and felt like I was ready to make another change, but I felt five years more equipped to do it. Uh, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So I, I definitely felt a lot more focused. I felt like I was being a lot more productive in terms of my goals and, and the things that I was attempting to accomplish. Um, so at that point, I had already had, well, I had a, a couple of friends who I had grown up with and gone to high school with who were already living in Atlanta. And they had some great things to say about the Atlanta music scene at the time and, and some things that were happening down here. So slowly over the course of it, it was probably a year or so, uh, just in conversations with them, I just finally got to a point where I was really ready to to kind of jump back in and and make a change. Um, So 
So I ended up here in Atlanta in the late nineties. I've lost track. I want to say it was 97 or 98. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And from there it's, uh, it's been home. So there, there was a couple bands yeah. you were working with in Atlanta though, that were, um, pretty significant rock bands in the Atlanta scene. What, what's the story with those guys? So it's, this is actually kind of an interesting tie in, um, to uh your previous episode with uh with Ganesh and and from the Yacht Rock Schooner and Yacht Rock Review those guys uh so he had mentioned that he was out in Portland Oregon playing in a band uh prior to moving back to Atlanta so he was living in Atlanta and I, again, my memory of, of years and, and dates and things like that is a, little, is a little skewed. But I actually moved to Atlanta and started playing with the guitar player, JJ, who he mentioned in his, his podcast and his interview. Um, started playing in a band with JJ when I moved here. I had been here for maybe a year, maybe two years. I've kind of lost track. Mm-hmm. Um, but we kind of landed in the same scene. And it's it's like most cities, once you start playing music around town, everybody kind of crosses paths at one point or another. Right. You know, bounce around like most people just you, you subscribe to the theory of getting in front of as many people as you possibly can and, and meeting as many people around town as you possibly can and, and just get out and play. It, and it was really that was kind of the theory. That was the the plan of attack for me is to just get out and play. And, and you you hope to find the right situation or you hope that you're you're going to the more people you put yourself in front of right the odds of of people you know working wanting to work with you and and you just increase your odds is really the game that I was playing mm-hmm. so uh fast forward a couple of years after after being here I started playing in a band called Rockets to Ruin with some guys from around town and this was kind of my first meeting uh, Rachel Bolin, who's the bass player and an original member of Skid Row, he had moved to Atlanta about the same time. He he was here a couple of years after I moved here. He moved here as well. And in playing music around town and, and through mutual friends, we we had met. And then ultimately he went on to produce an album for that band for Rockets to Ruin. And we were able to we were given an opportunity to to travel with Skid Row and open some shows. Cool. So I had the opportunity to meet the rest of the guys in the band. Yeah. Um, and then from there, everything just kind of, kind of started picking up steam for me. Uh, so you re- you'd work with Rachel. I mean, he'd seen you work in the studio and, and then obviously on the road and, and touring and things like that. So, I yeah. mean, that, that is this, that is the story behind you getting the gig. Um, was, was there anything, Aside from, hey, we need a drummer, here's Rob. Uh, I mean, did you have to leave Rockets to Ruin to do this? I, I did not. No, I did not. I actually, Rockets to Ruin had, had, I say dissolved. We had kind of put the band to bed for various reasons. And like most bands, you, you pour your heart and soul into it. And then there comes a day where everybody kind of looks at each other and and takes inventory of of what's our next move? You know, what, what do we want to do? And I think we, we all collectively felt like we had just hit a wall and we, we never really, I mean, we never, it wasn't a, you know, there wasn't a falling out amongst members. There wasn't a a big dramatic 
you know, hail of gunfire as we all, you know, drive, drive can you make something, out of the parking lot. There. Can you make something up for this, for this podcast? Just, no, I'm just kidding. You know, I, I, <laughs> I, you know for legal reasons, I'm not allowed to tell you exactly. Uh, that's but, good. I like that. <laughs> sure, sure. But there was, uh, was yeah. lot, there was a lot of blood. Um. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, a couple of the guys, you know, a little worse for wear. But uh, again, we just, we just really, we felt like we'd, we'd accomplished all we could with our research versus at the time, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense. Sure. Um, so, so I actually went out and and toured with an artist by the name of Wednesday Thirteen, who you may or may not be familiar with. He is the he he was at the time the front man for a band called Murder Dolls with Joey Jordison. Um, oh, okay. And he was doing yeah. So he was doing that when when Joey had gaps in his schedule and, and had time to do it and, and Wednesday had had an equally successful solo career putting out records on his own. Um, so I was fortunate enough to get picked up to do some tours with him. So I was doing that in between Rocket Run and the Skid Row Call. And yeah, Rachel and I were, were buddies around town and we would always try to get together when when you know we were both in town and when we were available to, to go grab lunch or, or grab a a coffee or whatnot. So it just kind of came up in conversation that, that I was available and not doing anything. Uh, I was originally approached to cover three shows, uh, and I was given the dates and, and was able to do them. Um, and then later on it was made known to me that it was more of an audition than it was anything else. Oh um, yeah. So that, yeah. So that worked out for me. Was there like a, uh, something that sealed the deal? for the band members about your playing i know we talked about personality and stuff like that i, yeah. I imagine that was a that was a part of it but but kind of getting into the more uh technical or the more drumming aspect of it focusing on that was there was there anything that you maybe brought to the table that they said you know what rob this is why we want to use you or this is what you, you know do. that's that's a that's a very good question, and if if I had to venture a guess, and this is a guess that I that I feel confident about, for me personally, or for me specifically, I should say, it was never any secret in conversations with whether it was Rachel or, or any of the guys in any of the other guys in the group. I was always a fan, and in that catalog. You know, you're, you're talking about a catalog that spans at that time. You know, thir- you're looking at a 30-year catalog. It's mm-hmm. I was a, I was a fan, and I really, for anybody who's been a fan of a band or an artist for that or a, a particular musician for that long, I think there are certain things that are just part of your your playing DNA. If that mm-hmm. makes any sense, yeah. And yeah, the, the style of drumming and the style of drummers that I was very, very, very into growing up. And I could give you specific examples, drummers like Phil Rudd and, and John Bonham and, and Mickey Curry is another drummer that was just a huge, huge, huge influence on me when I was growing up, even when I wasn't aware it was Mickey Curry playing drums until later when we didn't have, you know, we didn't have Google and we didn't right. have the internet and we didn't have Wikipedia and all these things at our, at our fingertips. There was a certain type of drummer that I was just very attracted to in terms of of their approach to playing music. So I was always I was always into 
to Silva just for that feel, that pocket, and I always felt like like it was it was not always what he played, but it was how he played it and how perfect what he did was for a particular song. And right. I, just, I never, I, I felt like he never wasted anything, and I felt like everything was very deliberate and calculated, but it was just enough to 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 be perfect. And all these these things that I was noticing in drummers like that. I think it just played well into a, a band like Skid Row, right. and and to your to your question, I think that factored in. And obviously, the guys had seen me play; they kind of knew what what type of player I was. Yeah, um, and I think that they felt like that would work for the band. And again, going back to to myself being a, a fan of their music in particular, it. It wasn't. It wasn't something that I felt like I, I wanted to come in and make a statement as a drummer. I just felt like those songs were so much bigger than anything I'm going to do on the drums. I didn't deviate from you know. I tried to to get things as close as I could to the the original recordings. And there's some amazing drumming on those records and, and yeah. some drumming that that I still listen to and it just. You know, I just absolutely love it. I just wanted to do my best interpretation of that. And, right. And I think they appreciated that, to be honest with you. I think they really got excited about somebody really just honing in on some of those those things and, and just playing the songs. And, and you hear that a lot in in interviews with musicians, it's it's really about these songs, right? And it's about the reaction that you get out of people, and it's not about it's not about trying to call attention to yourself, and it's not about trying to walk into a situation and put your own spin on songs that are that are thirty some years old. And and some of these songs are very very important to people. I think I think what you find in a situation like that is there are plenty of moments that you can interject your personality and your style and your spin on things. But it was important to me to start with yes, yeah. with something that was already established. So where do you go to find a treasure trove of information about vintage drums, custom drums, and legendary drummers? NotSoModernDrummer.com since 1988, Not So Modern Drummer is an institution dedicated to researching and documenting the history of modern drums, the art of drum building, and the legendary drummers who play them. The writers and contributors are some of the top vintage and custom drum experts from around the world. Not So Modern Drummer serves as an online gathering place and marketplace for the worldwide community of drummers who buy and sell, collect, preserve, and play these instruments. It also hosts drum-related events that are attended by drummers from all over the world. This website is easy and fun to explore, and the monthly digital magazine subscription is free. So check out NotSoModernDrummer.com. I've been playing these songs live for almost eight years, and I still I still find things that I just feel like, no, I could, I could do that better. And it might just be, it might be a feel thing. It might be even tempos. You know, I... I YouTube is a YouTube is a wonderful thing, and and it's it's immediate. You know, you can find you can find footage of of shows that, that you played, whether it's within the last couple of weeks, and and you can go back to 
to the same song from six months ago, and, and you can A B the two next to each other, and and um, I'm, I'm really it's become important to me to constantly evolve with that with that with that catalog of music or with that that set list, if you will, and and those songs that I've been given the the opportunity and the gift to be able to go out and be the guy who delivers these songs to these people. And it's, it's really fun for me to find ways to continuously improve on a song that might seem simple, it might seem second nature to you now. I know the arrangement backwards and forwards, I can do it in my sleep, but maybe there's a little a little extra gravy that I can put on it this year, and and, yeah. and it, it's become important to me. And, and in all honesty, it's fun as a musician to constantly be trying to find another layer to something. It's a, it keeps your mind... Uh, Stimulated, I guess, if that's a, the artistic part of the mind, it, it keeps it moving and and it's fun. It it is, and 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 this is another thing that I, I feel like I've mentioned so many times is is there was a, a conversation I was having when I was working at Columbus Pro Percussion going back many years ago, and the the owner of the store who is an amazing jazz drummer overheard us having a conversation about all these new songs that all of us had to learn for our different gigs and uh, how difficult it was going to be to learn all these new songs, and he looked at us and shook okay. his head and he and he said, guys. He goes, learning new songs is easy. Playing the same songs you've been playing for years, but with energy and passion, that's the challenge. Sure. And, I'll, right. and, and, he, and then he walked away, and we were all just left dumb, dumbfounded. And, and I, right. I, right. I, I'm going to bestow that little pearl of wisdom on you guys and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so true. And I think one yeah. of the ways to keep that up is, is to do what you're talking about. And, and when you have the advantage to fine-tune uh, material, I, I love it, man. I, I think that um, you get a little bit of time to kind of like really fo- focus in on, on um, making things that much better. Because then when the audience sees you, they don't know all the years and all the time that you've put into that. They just get a great show and a great performance. Sure, sure. No, I, I, I feel like that is absolutely true and and for me as i said earlier it's it's something that i've become become invested into for lack of a better term it's a i feel like not to sound too corny about the whole thing but i just feel like it's a very cool gift to be given to to again be the guy that gets to deliver these songs songs that you grew up yes. listening to and songs that and even if i if i hadn't grown up listening to these songs the people that I'm playing them for sure have the majority of them have, and it's important to them. And, and that's a gift. It's really, it's really a, a a cool experience. And it's something that I want to do better and better all the time. And, And it's, it's fun to have a band that lets you grow and lets you kind of, kind of really push yourself and, and, and we all feel the same way. It's wonderful to kind of see the band, a band and musicians that have been together as long as some of these guys have still pushing themselves and still trying to, to make it better. That inspires you to want to go home and do the same thing. Yeah. And it's, a, it's a good environment to work in for sure. That's awesome. Well, and you, I love the way you just say it's a gift uh, to, to not take it. I mean, to not take it for granted, this situation that, um, that you've been given, and there's a small percentage. Absolutely. There's a small percentage of people that can make a, a living at this, and I think that when you take a step back and say, "This is a gift, and I'm going to take it seriously," and um, that's a good 
that's just a healthy way of 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 uh, of living, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I, well, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, well, let's uh, if if we can. I, I wanted to kind of ask about the mechanics of the gig. Um, okay. As far as uh, are you running a click or using a, anything as a reference tempo wise? You mentioned I, tempo. I am. Yeah, and this is a for this particular gig. I, this is a a, a situation or a, a a setup, I should say. This is a setup that I've kind of grown into. We as a band the way that we naturally play together, we we don't run a click through everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we have some songs. We are kind of, I say old school players, but I don't know if that's the right term to use. I think there are plenty of young musicians and, and younger bands who are, who are kind of going back to the human element. Um, and I do love the, the technological side of things. I, I think it's extremely important to be able to play two click tracks and, and to use the, the loops and, 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 and tracks and, and all those things. I absolutely love that. And, and there is absolutely a time and a place for that. We have just decided that we are not that band. We, Mm -hmm. we personally don't, don't do that. So with that said, I have kind of, I've created a system that I like to call big brother that polices me um, so I'm using the latest version and I have forgotten, is it the, what is the model number of the latest? So they just recently made some changes to the Tamar Rhythm Watch. Okay. And I, I want to say it's the, is it the 200? Is that the, the I, model number? I, I forgot know. what it yeah. is. Okay. But with this latest version, you can now start and stop with a foot switch and you could also advance to your next preset tempo with a foot switch. Oh, cool. Whereas in the past you could only advance to the, to the next preset with the foot switch. So as soon as they made this new, this new version, in all honesty, it solved a lot of problems for me. It's become exactly what I'm looking for. So I program our set list into the, the rhythm watch and I will do one of three things. I will either, I have a few songs that I do let the, the click run the entire way through. And then we have a few songs where usually by the end of the first verse, maybe you get to the chorus and you just naturally push the chorus a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, using, the, using the foot switch, I can then start and stop. So it puts me in the range. It, it allows me to start the song in the same place every night. And from there, you you know anybody, you're good. It, as long as you have a, a, a fairly good sense of time, you're not going to take off and and be crazy crazy out of the box by the time you end the song. So as long as I get through the first verse, you know we we push and pull a little bit. Maybe we have a couple of bridges that are maybe a halftime bridge, and and to add a little bit extra heaviness to it, you kind of hang back a little bit. Right. And having a foot switch that I can start and stop allows me to do that and let the music breathe a little bit. Uh, or again, I, I may, there, there's a couple songs that I will let it run the entire way through, but they're songs that are just suited for that particular type of feel. Um, so it, it could be any number of different, different scenarios. If we have a, a song that, that starts with a guitar intro, you know, I'll just kind of give, give enough of a pulse where everybody starts in the same place. And it, it really does keep us in check. We've all been playing long enough that, 
that you know as long as we start in the general range, we're good. So right, right. Uh, is there uh, is everyone using ears or are you guys wedges? No, no. We uh, so as of now with our particular group, I'm the only one that's running a full mix with ears. Um, our singer will from time to time. Uh, it just depends on the the size of the stage, or it depends on the the exact situation. Uh, but it's interesting you ask that because one of the the improvements we talk about kind of evaluating and, and when you look at each upcoming year, how do we want to do things different? How do we want to do things better? Um, we have kind of made the decision to all go to ears for this coming year. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's something that we've been talking about doing it for quite some time and we just really haven't taken the plunge as a band. But now myself personally, I've been doing it for the last probably four or five years, I would say. Yeah. Was it an adjustment? I mean, did you always use a wedge before and then? I did. Yeah. It was certainly a, a period of adjustment, uh, but it was a commitment that I made to, to myself. Whether or not I'd like to admit it, I'm, I'm getting older and my hearing is oh, yeah. something that I, <laughs> I need to be yeah. a, a little bit more you know, protective of. Um, so it was something that I, when I initially took the plunge and said, I'm going to do this, I really made the commitment that for better or for worse, I'm going to do this for six months. I'm going to do six months of shows with these, whether I love them or hate them, I'm going to do six months with them. And I found that within the first couple of months, it was really something that I, it was, it was easy for me to settle into, I should say. Yeah. 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 And, so, and, and you I'm, know, it's, I'm much, I'm sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I, I'm definitely better off and, you know, it's, it's something that, that I was concerned about. And, and as I get older, I wanted to kind of stay out in front of the, the hearing loss issue oh, if no. I can. Yeah. And it's definitely helped me tremendously. I've got 4k that's completely gone. You know, that's, uh, yeah. That happens, right? It's, <laughs> it sneaks it's up on you, like hi hat, and and I, and sometimes yeah. my twelve year old mumbles in four K, and so I, yeah. you know, I, I'm like, dude, I, I don't know how many times I have to remind yeah. you who your father is, and you know, yeah. I've been playing drums for twice, you know, for much longer than you've been alive, and I can't understand a word you're saying, son. So that's exactly right. I, I, yeah. I got to I got to the point where I said, if it if what you're telling me is important enough to you that I need to hear it, then you need to say. Say it louder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like you are. You and I are in the same boat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or otherwise, I'm just going to nod my head and ignore you. Um, yeah, and then I, and I have no idea what I'm agreeing to when I just <laughs> nod my head. <laughs> I have no idea what I just said. Cool, cool. And then all of a sudden, Amazon boxes start showing up in my front door. Wait a minute, Dad. Exactly. You agreed. You agreed to this. <laughs> you shook your head. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. How do we get a VR system? Um. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> Well, um, are you are you doing anything special before the gig? I mean, I, I've been watching videos and stuff, man. First of all, you sound great, dude. You're killing it. Thank you. It's, I mean, Thank you super very much. solid. Um, you talk about like the fitting a certain style. It's like I'm hearing the songs. I'm like, I know this song. I know this drum feel. I know this stuff. That alongside the feel, the power, all that stuff, man. It's great. Super great. Thank you so much. Yeah. I, I... That's I I appreciate that a lot. Thank sure, you. man. Sure, man. Yeah, I mean, I, it just seems to fit just so well uh, with the band and, and everything that you're doing. And then as a drummer, geeking out on on just the power and the feel and stuff like that. Um, yeah. What 
what are you doing, if anything, before you sit down and 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 hit hit hard? Yeah, well, I definitely I definitely have a routine, and I definitely. I mean, is it is it um, is it batting uh, empty coffee cups while you're warming up? Uh, like a, <laughs> Uh, you, so you've seen my. Uh, that never really caught on. Is the, uh, that is great, the, uh, man. That's. I mean, it was. It was fun. It was fun. Uh, <laughs> no, for those for those of you listening that might not be aware, there was a a, a little video that that made its way to the internet of my bandmates throwing cups at me while I was trying to warm up and you know, just trying to get ready for my gig here, guys. And. Uh, they proceeded to shower me with empty. I think solo cups. Well, the thing that the thing that I loved about it is when when I'm backstage and I have my routine. I'm 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 not letting you get to the routine. Yet. I'm so sorry, but <laughs> no, no, no. I, I have, dude. I have, and I, you know, every drummer's different. But I mean, I've got my routine, and so I try and find some space where I'm not completely annoying anybody. But right. and 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 most of the time, everybody's really cool with it whatever I may throw a towel on the on the practice pad or whatever but I'm just waiting for that stuff to happen for people to start throwing shit at me yeah it's a I apologize if I've given any of your bandmates an idea I certainly apologize for that it's a as far as I appreciate routine I I need to warm up I just absolutely need to and it's I I do I do hit pretty hard on this gig and I don't, I got to be honest with you. I just, whether I'm hitting hard or whether I'm not hitting hard, I play better when I've invested some time into, into warming up. And in all honesty, for me, warming up is a, is a mental thing as well. I kind of need to wake up certain parts of my, my brain, if that makes any sense, my nervous system, just my, just the idea of sticks in my hands. And, and, um, we, as a, as a group, depending on the, the situation, if we can give each other space and, and make whatever type of noise we need to do, we absolutely will. In a lot of situations, that's just not an option. Uh, our guitar player, Snake, is, Snake Sabo, is one of the biggest music fans you'll ever meet. He just, he's constantly listening to music and the things that he's inspired by, he's so passionate about. So he's always playing guitar in the dressing room, and he kind of has his little playlist that he likes to the music that just fires him up and just, just songs that inspire him and really get his blood flowing. Um, so it's easy for me to kind of sit in a corner and just play paradiddles along to whatever it is he's listening to, or maybe yeah. just play some double strokes along with whatever it is he's listening to. So I kind of try to blend into the, to the scenery, if that makes any sense, the sonic um, landscape. But there comes a point. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But there comes a point where we're all kind of sharing that space, and and that includes the, as you said, the sonic landscape as well. There does come a point in the routine where I've got to start hitting the practice pad. I can't just be sitting there scratching at it and and playing. So I'll dig in a little bit. Um, as far as a, a warm up routine, what I'm playing, it's usually not something that's that's thought out ahead of time. It might be something that I'm working on at the time. Lately, I've just been completely enamored with the six stroke roll and it just Mm. kind of seems to have consumed my life over the last six months. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm kind of trying to wedge that into whatever music might be playing in the dressing room at the time. And it really, 
again, for me, warming up is just as much a mental thing as it is anything else. Um, I'm with stretching. Yeah. 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 Stretching for me is another, another thing that I've really just gotten to a point in my life where I just, it's a necessity. I really just need to do it if I'm going to go out there and, and you might get through your gig and, and I might be fine, but an hour after the gig, I'll know if I stretched or if I didn't stretch. And when your body's trying to tell you something, it's it's usually trying to tell you something for a reason. So I definitely try to get, you know, my shoulders and my arms and my chest and everything kind of loose and opened up. And, right. and I found that just even 15 minutes of what seems like weird pacing and just moving and, and like I said, just kind of flexing my shoulders and, and, you know, the windmills and things like that. It makes a world of difference for me, yeah. and it's something that, that I absolutely I absolutely feel better when I do it. I'm going to guess and say it was 2013 that we released uh, an EP. It was United World Rebellion, Chapter 1, and the concept that we, we presented for... For our new music, we we are going to do a trilogy of, of EPs, so three installments, and then at the we weren't sure at the time whether or not it would be with the third installment or if it would be later released as maybe a fourth installment. But we wanted to do some some bonus, maybe some live footage or some some live recordings and and just some some bonus features for people who might want to might be a, a collector or might want to go a little bit deeper into the into the catalog, do some stuff that, that we hadn't done in the past. So I want to say it was 2013. We, we recorded the first EP and I'll be honest with you. It was, it was a fun experience. I will tell you that for us, it was a band making new music in an industry that had changed a lot since the last time Skid Row had made new music. So the last album was 2006, an album called Revolutions Per Minute. So from 2006 to 2013, doesn't sound like an incredibly long period of time, but the music business has changed a lot in a handful of years. So we were kind of for lack of a better term, we were figuring out how to make new music again and what made the most sense for us as a band, mm-hmm. the the stage and the, and the point that we are at in our career and, and, and factor in how does the, how does a fan base for a band like ours, how do they buy new music in, in today's music industry? So these right. are all things that we were kind of talking about and, Important questions and to ask, for sure. It, absolutely, absolutely. And and when you start talking about these things, like most people, I think you find that you don't really have all the answers, and you don't really know. And and a lot of times you're you're trying these these ideas out, and and maybe they'll work, and maybe they won't. Uh, for us, it was great. It, we really decided that to do EPs versus full lengths, we could put we could put music out at a quicker rate. So as opposed to putting out a full-length album and then touring and promoting that and and going through the cycle that that you would want to go through to to really give something like that its due, 
it we didn't we didn't necessarily want to do it that way. We we felt like with the avenues that you have via social media and and the way people buy music, we could put out smaller quantities of music, but put it out more frequently. Right, right. And we, yeah, and just kind of stay engaged with your audience at a, at a quicker pace, which is kind of the way the world works nowadays, for better or for worse. It's it's just the world that we live in. So, so we went in and gosh, I've, I've again, I've lost track of the dates, but. We went in and we recorded five original songs, and we decided to do two cover songs on each EP. And, and this is something that, again, in, in having conversations and in talking amongst ourselves and and some of the people at our record label at the time, we felt like this would be a fun way to approach everything. And it was great. It was really a fun time. It was exciting for me to go into the studio and and kind of really solidify my name in the timeline of a band that, again, I was a fan of for so many years, and, and you find yourself playing in the band and, and going out and, and doing these shows, and then going and actually recording music. It was a it was a huge milestone for me personally. I was just really excited about the idea. I felt like like it really kind of solidified my name in, in, as I said, the timeline of the band. When people tell the story, you know, whether or not they're Super Bowl years and, and, and you know, it's it's fun to be a part of something that's that's been so much a part of your life for so many years. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it does. I mean, I bet it was a or, surreal moment for sure, too. It really was. Yeah, it really was. You know, we, we kind of we kind of just went in as, as five guys who were really just excited about making new music. And, and again, to be a part of that with guys that you've been inspired by the things that they've recorded in the past was just a great, a great experience for me. The last thing I want to ask you is um, the person that, that I'm, I'm interviewing is ask their five desert island records oh wow and um and and i wanted to do that and i wanted with you and i wanted to include this in the interview we have it as bonus content on our on our page and and for those who are able to contribute to to what we're doing through our patreon page it's um this is a big part of our our bonus content is to hear uh not all but but a, a lot of the past interviews from 2017 here mostly who have um give a list of their some of the, the their favorite and inspirational records by trying okay. trying hard to narrow it down to five I'm sure you've heard of this before, and the concept is you're stuck on a desert island, and you're allowed five records, or you know, and, yeah. and this is this is not a hard and fast rule, but I mean, uh, I'm putting you on the spot. I didn't give you a heads up on this, but it also um, it, it it kind of is a snapshot too of um, of this day and time in in 2017. What is uh, Rob Hammersmith's Desert Island Records? Yeah, that's a. It's such a good question. I will probably, I feel like I'm paralyzed with choices. So <laughs> narrowing it down to five might be, might be hard. Uh, the, the first couple will come quickly to me. Um, back in black ACDC yeah. is absolutely 
absolutely just I mean I'm I'm just I'm just such a fan of Phil Rudd. It's actually hard for me to narrow it down to one particular A C D C album. Um but that one that one is always just going to be the one that gets my blood flowing and if I'm just feeling like I need to pick me up or I, I put that album in and the radio just does not go loud enough and it's yeah. always been that way for me. Um and you know, it's it's just such a it had such a huge impact on me at the time that that one's going to have to be my first choice. Um, with that, and the, you'll uh, some of your listeners might catch on to a theme developing here. But uh, when I was when I was younger, uh, Def Leppard High and Dry that album absolutely changed my life. The first time I heard that album, mm. and it had been out for a while. The first time that I had heard that record, it. Uh, it had already been out for a while, but I just, I don't know. There was something about that record when it came out, or I should say after, after I discovered that album, it just completely set the tone for the next X amount of years of my life. Just sure. really, we talked about the, the hard rock thing when I was younger. Um, that was one that just really just blew me away. Uh, let's see what else. So, and uh, for those of you listening, you, you might notice that there's a Mutt Lang theme. Oh, okay. <laughs> between those two albums, um, so I guess he's responsible for uh, for, for a lot of my. Uh, so, what's your my, favorite Shania Twain record? Yeah, well, you know, I couldn't come up with a. You know, it's so hard to narrow it down to one. I couldn't come up with the. Oh, greatest but, uh, hits must but, be yeah, greatest. I mean, exactly, exactly. You, you know, I'm sure. Uh, he's. I'm sure he's had his his fingers on a lot more. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that yeah. May, you know, I'm sure there's stuff that I'm not even aware of that he's. Uh, oh yeah. That he's been involved in, but yeah. those two records in particular were just. Uh, they're just hugely influential records on me. Here's one that. Uh, well, I've mentioned Mickey Curry, the Brian Adams, the early Brian Adams records, but specifically Cuts Like a Knife. The drumming on that album is just. I think it's criminally underrated. It's the kind of drumming for me that I listen to it and I might kind of put it away for, it might even be a couple of years that I put the record away and, and don't really listen to it a whole lot. And then you come back and listen to it. And a lot of this for me is listening to it on different formats. Mm. When it first came out, you're listening to music on cassette yeah. and then you graduate to CD and then you know we have all these different options nowadays. Right. Um, but I feel like his drumming, there, I, I just hear something different in it every time I go back and, and start to scratch the surface again. Um, that record in particular, I just love his his feel and his contribution. And such great songs on that record, too, man. You're right. You're absolutely right. And I just really... Almost timeless, love, dude. I, yeah, I feel that way. And my wife and I were fortunate enough to, to see Brian Adams live. Uh, I, I want to say it was about two years ago now. And he was doing the Reckless Anniversary Tour. So he opened the show by doing that entire record from start to finish. And then he slowly moves throughout the rest of his catalog, which is which is such a colossal undertaking to start going through that, that history of hits yeah, um, yeah. and, and to find time to play one of the albums in its entirety before you do that. It was, Jeez. it was just such a great show. But one of the things you notice as he moves through his catalog is what a huge part of his sound 
Nikki Curry's drumming actually is. Yeah. And it, it's something that kind of struck me at that particular show. Um, but the cuts like a knife record for me, I love, I just love the way he, he, he makes those songs feel. And then you listen to it and there are songs, even cuts like a knife where he, the hi-hat stuff and the yes. way he moves those songs along. Mm-hmm. And then you go back and listen to it and you almost can't tell, is that a percussion track? Is it the hi-hat? I mm-hmm. can't tell, but mm-hmm. it just has this amazingly cool mm-hmm. forward momentum to it. And um, that record continues to blow me away. It just it just really kind of opened my eyes to a lot of different things. It, it's so cool you mentioned that track. Um, it, it, I, that... It's like the hi hat part is not like a pattern. It it's it it just works with the flow of the tune. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, yeah. there's a little bit of a sixteenth pattern here or there, but not a set pattern. And the kick drum is a little bit the same way. But man, yeah, it's great. And 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 again, I mean, Brian Adams later works with Mutt Lang on some stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, there's a theme developing here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> cool. Um, there's, was that three? Uh, I, think that's, I believe that's three. That's three. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to say anything by Led Zeppelin. Um, yeah. And I know that's a, I know that's a, I'm not copping out. I should probably do a, <laughs> I should probably give you a better that's answer. That's a tough but, one though, dude. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, and to to talk about Bonham specifically, he he's another drummer that I I was exposed to so much of that music when I was when I was growing up. But it took me a little while, and it took me some years of actually going out and attempting to play drums at a professional level to really understand mm. why why his playing is is great it's just it's that feel it's that you know and so many guys have talked about it and so many guys have said it better than i will be able to say it but his playing is just he had his own voice he had his own way of of doing things and just the way he he made some of those songs feel is just amazing to me Mm -hmm. so to narrow it down to one would be would be very difficult for me. It's been such an, um, his impact is, will extend for decades. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. For sure. On so many different, yeah. so many different drummers and so many different musicians yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. I have Let's a thing, uh, I have a thing for the first record because that was the first Zeppelin vinyl record that I ever bought. And so I know Zeppelin 1 isn't a lot of people's favorites. It's physical graffiti or it's 2 or whatever, but I mean I think that yeah. that that's kind of the, the the I think everybody has their thing maybe that where it was the record that opened their eyes. Be like, "Oh, right. that's this is the record that introduced me to the catalog." And that, that's exactly it. Yeah. 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 And that's kind of a, I guess that's a a good way of, of again for me it was it was being loosely familiar with the music as a kid but you just don't listen as deeply as as you do when when you've had some experience and you really right. kind of decide okay I want I want to be a really good drummer and then you start scratching the surface of what does it take to be a good drummer mm-hmm. you can argue that 
that the parts aren't complex or, or these arguments that you can make for a lot of that music, but it's those elusive X factors that you really have to start. The elusive X factor, to. exactly. Yeah. 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 Oh, I can play that. I can play that. Yeah. Well, can but when you listen to it back, if you're recording it, have a recording of yourself trying to play this Bonham feel. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's the elusive X factor for sure. Yeah. Uh, um. Well, I, I Zeppelin. Some Zeppelin. Some. Ze- that's. Let's say four. That's four. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, I, I appreciate you. I appreciate you giving me that. So I'm going to mention a, uh, a an album by a band that uh, that I'm sure a lot of a lot of people are are familiar with, but but maybe not so much this particular drummer. A band by the name of Soul Asylum, mm-hmm. uh, who is a huge, huge, huge. I, I was I was a huge fan of their music through the late 80s and the early 90s. And they made an album in the early 90s, maybe mid-90s. I'd have to go back and look. It might be as, as late as 90, 1995. But the album Let Your Dim Light Shine mm-hmm. with Sterling Campbell on drums, and okay. a lot of people may or may not be aware of him. Um, but he's he played with David Bowie for a while, and he played with with some pop bands throughout the 90s, and he's... He's another one of those drummers to me that that just makes music feel good and awesome. and yeah that album in particular the drum sound is is uh, it's a bit ACDC esque I think which might surprise a lot of people for a, a band like that but um, that album just it really kind of set a tone for me for many, many years and I've been a fan of Sterling's for a very long time and and I think it's it's I wouldn't say it's obscure, but it's kinda of tucked in there. It's not a very you know, it's not the kind of album that I think the drums are going to catch your attention right away, but mm-hmm. as you start listening to the songs and and, and really dissecting and, and listening, it's really it was a really influential album to me, for sure. That's awesome. I, I think that that's, yeah. that's the beauty of this exercise, is that there's something that impacted you that you can, you, you, you're saying to your drumming brothers and sisters, hey, you, you, you got to give this a listen to, and, and, and it, it has affected me. You've got to check it out. And it's easy it's easier to access music these days, you know, uh, than it used to be. And so, Absolutely. you know, give it a listen, give it a couple listens and, and see sure. if it can, um, see if you find what it is that I found in it. Um, 2018 is looking good for y'all yeah and uh yeah definitely i i it sounds like it's going to be a busy year um and you've got some time overseas as well um that's right yeah and um going on uh eight years with skid row and it just sounds like a lot of cool things man are happening um just just on all fronts, music, family, yeah. personal, everything like that, dude. And that's exactly, yeah. Thank you very much for uh, for saying that. It's a uh, 2018 will be busy for us, and as you mentioned, we'll be we'll be mm-hmm. doing some European tour dates and and some dates in the UK as well. I haven't seen the full year. Uh, I know that they're still working on 
and some other tour dates. Uh, but it will be it will be a busy year for us, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. So. I mean, there is the website people can check out. But I mean, as 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 many of us know, there's always the um, there's the real. Uh, uh, schedule that has all the all the on hold dates uh, for a lot That's of right, bands yeah. and artists that <laughs> don't show up on the website until they're uh, confirmed and in this business. That's right. Yeah, you don't count your chickens yeah. until your eggs are hatched. Um, That's exactly you know. exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But Rob. Man, thanks so much for doing this. Um, well, thanks thank you. For making thank you. It, was, it was it was an absolute pleasure, and and I'm I'm a fan of, of what you guys are doing as well. And it's awesome, it's man. really fun. It's it's fun for me to connect with people who are as passionate and, and feel the same way about playing drums. And yeah. just honestly, just music me in general. Yeah, yeah, it's really an inspiring thing, and the way you guys have have taken it to others and and. Um, Maybe inspire others as well. It's really a cool thing to see. Well, it it, it thanks for being a fan, um, and yeah. and and uh, and and finding us and us finding you and and uh, and kind of helping us to kind of bridge uh, these this community, making this community stronger, um, and hopefully yeah. drawing inspiration from each other. Um, through the good times and the bad, for sure. But um, well, definitely, yeah. It's it's great to have a, uh, a support network, I guess, if you will. And it's yeah, you yeah. Know, it might seem like we're we're strangers, but then you get us into an environment like this with a with a common theme that we all feel passionate about. And yeah, it definitely makes the world a smaller place, which I'm a fan of. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, me too, man. Well, listen, yeah. um, happy New Year in a couple days to you. Yeah, well, thank you. Same um, to you. Have have a have a safe one and ha- have a great 2018 and um, let's stay in touch. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for having me. All right, Rob. Hey, we'll talk at you so, soon, man. It sounds good. See you, man. Bye bye. All right, take care. So there you have it. There's my conversation with Rob Hammersmith. I want to say thanks to Rob for uh, especially making and carving out some time during this very busy holiday season here in 2017. It's crazy around uh, this time of year for everyone, and for him to take the time to uh, do this interview is much appreciated. Uh, One thing uh, that you can tell about Rob is that he uh, lives in the moment. He understands and recognizes the opportunities that uh, he has, and I think that's, that's, that's a very important thing to carry with you throughout uh, this crazy business is that when uh, you have the opportunity to make music and make the kind of music that you want to make with the people that you want to make it with, you need to take a step back and, and, and really appreciate uh, that the, the opportunities that you have. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview. Uh, many thanks to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance and uh, also offering me uh, Christmas leftovers for dinner while my family's out of town. Thanks, Mike. Actually, I already ate. I already had some leftovers, but thanks for offering. Uh, anyways, uh, again, uh, we have T-shirts for sale. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer to see how you can contribute to what we are doing. But I hope you all have a safe new year, and um, we appreciate everyone listening, and I hope to see you around. Bye-bye.